This is Technically Legal, a podcast about legal technology, innovation in the legal industry, and the impact tech is having on the law. I'm Chad Main, the founder of Legal Services Company Percipient, and on today's episode, I'm talking to legal tech guru Adriana Linares. She runs a consultancy called Law Tech Partners and also hosts a great podcast called New Solo. She and I talk about the tech law firms need to successfully run their practices. So I'm pretty excited to bring you this episode. Well, I'm excited to bring you all the episodes, and I love all the conversations I have with my guests. But I know many times on the show, my guests and I get really theoretical about the practice of law and how tech is impacting it and where the legal profession is going. But on today's show, I talked to Adriana Linares, not only about the history of tech and law, but how tech is really impacting the practice of law right now. And she also offers a bunch of real-world tips about the tech you should be using and how to put that tech into practice today. When I say Adriana is a legal guru... I truly mean that because she's an OG in the legal tech world. Right out of college in the late 90s, she was hired by a large Florida law firm to train lawyers how to use the tech of the day in their practice, but she was also hired to help the firms figure out what tech they needed to buy in the first place. A few years later, after law firm life, in the early 2000s, she started her own consultancy. It was called Law Tech Partners. It still exists to this day. It helps them not only learn about tech, but also use and implement tech to maximize the success of their practice. As we'll hear in my conversation with Adriana, at a minimum, she advises that law practices have at least three pieces of software, and they almost talk to each other. She also weighs in on the Mac versus PC debate and whether lawyers should use Microsoft 365 or Google. She also explains the differences between case management software, practice management software, and document management software. And last but not least, we close out our talk with a discussion on why many in legal are missing out when they don't use CRMs. That's Client and Customer Relationship Management Platforms. I should also point out that Adriana is also a fellow podcaster, and she has a great podcast called The New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. If you like what you're hearing today, I highly recommend you check out her podcast because she has many episodes that take deeper dives into the topics we are talking about today. Without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Adriana Linares. Do you come from a family of explorers? Because I noticed you got a BA in geography. That's not something you see every day. What's the story behind that? I went to a small liberal arts college in DeLand, Florida, Stetson University. I didn't have a lot of choices, so I ended up on geography. I just really enjoyed it after trying out a bunch of other majors. And what's interesting about it is the School of Geography at Stetson was literally back then, this would have been in 95-ish, the only department that had computers because they were teaching cartography. So my first exposure to computers was... In my geography major, that's how I learned to love computers, and that's what pretty much led to the rest of my job. Becoming a cartographer was not going to work for me because not only was I not smart enough, but it was right at that moment in time where cartography was becoming digitized. So did you work on digital cartography? Was that part of the curriculum? It was. Yeah, it was awesome. So that's it. Geography was it. When you got out of school, was the plan to get into some sort of geography-related yeah, it was. And um, I was in Orlando, Florida, which happened to be the world headquarters of AAA. I was like, I'm going to go become a cartographer. And then literally the jobs were so technical that I said, OK, well, I could never have these jobs. You basically had to become a scientist right. at that point, a digital scientist. And so I ended up working at SeaWorld, <laughs> giving speeches to school children about animals. And that's where I learned to speak publicly and, you know, overcome the fear of giving speeches. And then I saw a job that was available at a law firm. This was in 1998 in the newspaper, because that's where we would look for jobs back then. It was a job available, computer trainer at a law firm. 
And I walked in. I said to my boss, I don't know anything about law. He said, you don't need to. My lawyers got that part. They don't know anything about computers. We're starting to put them on everyone's desks. This is getting kind of crazy. Can you teach them how to use their computers? I said, sure. And uh, that was how I started my career in legal. And so the experience you had at Stetson in that geography slash cartography program is what gave you the, the skills to teach lawyers about computers. Yeah, well, it was Windows 95 at the time. <laughs> yeah. My mom scraped up every little bit of money she had, and I was like the only kid at Stetson University that had a PC that was custom built with two gigs of RAM. It came with a Windows 95 manual. I read the whole thing. I was like, well, that's not that hard. And then I went and applied for this job at this law firm just because I knew how to right-click and search in Windows Explorer and what my boss at the time said, and I still think this is so funny, even back then, he goes, well, kid, you don't know much, but my lawyers are going <laughs> to like you. So you're teachable and you're trainable. Welcome aboard. And that was literally how I got this job. And I had a lot of on-the-job training. It was one of Florida's largest law firms. So I was in the IT department. We did rollouts, updates, upgrades. I eventually got to the point where I was helping pick out software that I thought would help lawyers and systems. And I was there for six years at this large law firm, and I thought I was going to die at some point because it was so incredibly soul-crushing. <laughs> so I went to another law firm thinking I was changing jobs, but I was really just moving my office. So <laughs> I was at another one of Florida's largest law firms for two years. And then I said, I'm going to try going out on my own. And at that point, I had started speaking at the ABA Tech Show. I had been writing some magazine articles for them. and just tried and started my little company. I assume the articles and the speeches you were given was on tech and tools tech, for law firm. Tech. Yeah. Yep. And back then it was very different, right? We didn't, the internet wasn't even as prolific as it is today. That would have been around 2002, three, four, probably. And so I said, well, maybe I could do this on my own and help smaller firms because, you know, I was part of a big IT department help solos and smalls. And so I launched Law Tech Partners in 2004. And what legal tech was out there back then? Because, I mean, mainly you probably just, you were bringing regular everyday people tech and, yeah. and business tech to it. But was there, I, I vaguely remember back then, I guess it would have been, I guess there was practice, practice management or at least document management software back then, right? There definitely was document management. So for solos and smalls, World Docs was sort of dominant. Of course, it was enterprise-level software because I grew up teaching PC Docs and Hummingbird and iManage, which is what really large law firms use. So yeah, I had to figure out you know, what to tell the solos and smalls back then. Now also, luckily for me and for legal at the time, this is about the time that the internet was getting more reliable. Products were starting to come out. Clio came out, what they say, about 15 years ago now. So it was just a good time to get started. And I was teaching them or helping them install Microsoft business server for small firms. So it was a totally different. And I am not super, super techie. I like to make this really clear, although unfortunately, I'm more technical than most people. So I also run the tech support helpline for the Florida Bar where lawyers call with their tech problems, not with their legal technology problems. And all of that came from those years of working in big firms. How did you get your first clients? Just go out and pound the pavement? From speaking at the ABA Tech Show. Yeah. Yeah. There's people in the audience, they're like, couldn't we hire you? I said, sure. And let's fast forward to today. Yeah. What services are you offering now? And then also compared to like when you first came out, like what were you offering then? 
That's an interesting question. I haven't thought about it too much because it's been such a natural progression. So way back then it was, uh, well, yes, you need a server and you have to have Microsoft Exchange if you want to share contacts and calendars with your secretary. It was minimal then. It was mostly Word and Outlook and Office and then the internet started and, you know, it was dial up for a minute. (laughs) Did you provide the training on this too? Right. Because that was my real job at the law firm. Right. At the law firms was computer trainer. I would do new hire training and training on all the systems that we had, which was PC Docs, Hummingbird, iManage. So yeah, I did a lot of on-the-job learning and had to learn really quick sometimes and then go train. But I always knew more than they did because I actually bothered to look at the manuals. <laughs> Today, it's a lot of helping. Well, it's a lot of solo launching. So I help have a lot of firms, a lot of callers to the bar associations that I work with wanting to know how to launch their law firm. Where do I start? What do I need? And then I do work as the practice management advisor for the state of Nebraska for their sustaining members and for the San Diego County Bar Association. With Nebraska and San Diego, any of their members can call and get legal technology and practice management consultations and advice. So that is very much about what kind of software do I need? I'm an immigration lawyer. What should I get? Can I use Clio? Should I use Rocket Matter? I need my accounting built in. Oh, you know, and a lot of how do I launch? Or I've been on a solo for two years. I need to now I streamline. I'm ready to hire an assistant. How do I make sure we can share things? There's a lot of movement still to the cloud. You know, we've had a server. It's going to die. We're going to replace it. How do we do that? A lot of training on and consulting on Microsoft 365 and everything that you get with it so that people aren't paying for two things. Like today, an attorney you know, how do I launch? And I said, well, you're going to get OneDrive. Oh, does that mean I can stop paying for Dropbox? It does. You know, if you want to switch to OneDrive and not pay for the same service twice, sure. But I always recommend you keep even the free level of Dropbox because people use Dropbox. So there's a lot of that. How do I move the services that I have to the cloud? Or how do I shorten my tech stack so I'm not paying for things twice? Like, you don't need DocuSign if you have Adobe Acrobat DC. So a lot of that. And then for the Florida bar, it's tech support. So a lot of that is, well, I do still get some practice management, but it's really sold to them as tech support. So (laughs) I get some uh, sometimes pretty amazing calls. (laughs) (laughs) And they call you directly or do you have a crew? They make appointments. Everyone makes appointments. There's a link behind the login for all of those bar associations. So that way the bars can also, you know, sort of manage who's using the line and see it. They make appointments and then I'm telling you, some of the calls I get today are from solos and smalls are really amazing yeah. sometimes. But it's really fun. Yeah, it, it sounds like it sounds like and you've been doing this for a while since the, the 90s when you were working for the big firms. Have lawyers' attitudes changed since the 90s versus now? I mean, I'm assuming the answer is totally yes, because everybody does uses tech now. In the 90s, they didn't. But I think the real shift that people like me had been waiting for, pushing for, really just like, God, when are these lawyers going to get it? Happened during the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, that was it. It was literally, we saw the corner and turned it. While many of us have been standing on the corner for years going, come this way, make this turn, your life will be easier. The pandemic was just so out of nowhere. And attorneys who were so sure that they were never not going to need a server, that they were always going to have an office, that their assistant was always going to be, you know, yelling distance away or loud voicing away. That was just such a harsh reality smack. 
that that's when I feel I started having different conversations. I started having them faster, you know, an attorney right. would call and say, okay, uh, how do I share documents? Okay, now we're all in OneDrive. Great. Oh my God, now we're all in OneDrive. What else do I get with Microsoft 365? There's a bookings app. I can connect my calendar to Calendly, you know, like the conversations and it's now it's accelerated. Right. I mean, in the, in the past couple of years, it's just been boom. Were you super slammed then when the pandemic yeah. hit with people trying to figure out yeah. how to deal with this? Yep. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. It was it was actually wonderful. And then I would say six months into it, everyone was fine. Yeah. And that's when the conversation started changing a little bit to being more efficient. Wow, this is crazy. What else can I do? I, I don't have to go to the office. <laughs> I mean, it's sad that I was just having these conversations, you know, three and a half years ago, but that's what I've seen change. The trust in cloud and cloud services. I don't really get that question that much anymore. What does the bar say? The bar wants You're you right, on the cloud, right, for God's sake. Right. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, conversations are different. All right, so let's get to the nitty-gritty. In the episode that I listened to, the first one of, of your new solo podcast episodes I listened to was basically what tech stack you need when you're starting a law firm. Sure. Uh, and you went through a bunch of different types of software and products, and we'll kind of go through some of them, and I encourage everybody to take a listen to that episode, and I'll, I'll make a link to that in the episode page. but. You said on that episode you have both PCs and Macs, but you didn't really give an opinion. What's the opinion here? Which do you, which desert island? You can only take one. I don't have an opinion on that. I like them both. I jokingly call myself by tech, but I definitely lean on the Windows side. My day-to-day computer is a Windows machine. Today, you can have either one. doesn't matter, but this is what I tell an attorney. If you have never picked up a Mac and you're thinking about getting one because your kid in college said, Dad... You should get one. They're easier to use and they never get a virus. Or they say, Mom, you should get a Mac because it won't break down as much. They're much more stable. My answer is those are the dumbest reasons to switch because Macs are not easier, nor would a PC be easy for someone going from Mac to PC. So if you're starting your practice, that's typically not the time to decide to learn a whole new operating system unless you're going to make the time. Because I have Mac users today that I talked to, as a matter of fact, one yesterday, who didn't know like four or five really important efficiency tools for working on a Mac. So my answer is stick with what you know. PCs are wonderful today. They're solid. You don't need antivirus, really. It comes built in, baked in. We don't get viruses as much as we used to because technology companies and browsers specifically have helped us prevent those. So my answer is stick with what you know, what you love. And if you are going to make the change, just be ready to learn because it doesn't, it's not magic to actually learn new skills. So typically, of course, people are wanting to go from Windows to Mac, in which case I say when you buy your Mac, I think you get a free appointment with a person at the Mac store if you have one nearby and they show you, you know, how to use it. Take advantage of that and definitely learn how to use it. And historically, the rub with Apple was maybe some of the programs lawyers needed were Windows only. But because we moved, as you've already alluded to, to SaaS and online products, that's probably not as much of an issue anymore, is it? There are very, very few products today that are um, device or browser specific. Most are built for the cloud and they are device and browser agnostic. They don't care if you're on an Android, an iPhone, an iPad, a Mac, a PC, they don't care. I find that sometimes little 
products that are built by cities or states, you know, or like there's a family law software that helps attorneys calculate child support in Florida, right? Like, like yeah. a really nuanced little product that just hasn't made it to cloud yet. Some of those are still pretty Windows reliant, but they're so far and few between that what I say to an attorney is if you really want a Mac and you're going to need that software, go to Costco, buy a $300 PC laptop and run that one piece of software right. that two times a month you need it on this or your old device. I just did, um, for New Solo, my podcast on the Legal Talk Network, just this month, is, or maybe it's August's episode, I can't remember, we're in July now. I jokingly called it the podcast you've all been waiting for, and it's an all-Mac podcast with Brett Burney and Jeff Richardson, and we're talking all about Macs and products and services and these very questions. I go in-depth with them on that. So yeah, I get that a lot. I'll tune into that one, because I'm a historically been a PC guy, but I have an iPhone, I've been leaning towards getting a Mac, but I haven't made the decision yet. You've already alluded to Microsoft 365. Obviously, it's the most popular productivity suite in the world, probably, I think. I think so. Is there any reason you can't use Google, Google Suite? Yes, because you're not in college anymore, and you're a lawyer, and you have to have Word, and you really want to have, not just have Word, you want to be a really good Word user, and you want your product, which ultimately as a lawyer, producing a product, you want it to look good, and you want it to be easy for it to move around the internet and be used by other parties. Now, you know, every once in a while, if you're truly... You know, you only do wills and trusts and your clients literally only ever see PDF files and you never have to file anything or share anything, although all that's PDF anyway. I think it can be okay, but I will tell you, Chad, I speak to a lot of lawyers from corner to corner, every stage in their career, every practice area, every size law firm. I rarely come across attorneys that are using Google Workspace yeah. as their main as a matter of fact, the two or three that I can think of that I've had over the past few years are in Silicon Valley and work with tech companies. Right, right. So that's their world. But the average lawyer is going to want Office 365, not just for Word, but, you know, Outlook is, of course, still a great personal information manager, contacts and calendar all in one place. But Microsoft 365 itself, everything that you get with it, from Teams to bookings to forms to PowerPoint. I mean, it's pretty awesome. Right. And I think it's only getting better. Right. You just mentioned PDFs. If you only use PDFs, maybe you can use Google. PDF tool. Do you have to get Adobe? No, you definitely don't. And here's what I say. Like, I did a, a, a launch consult today. I said, got to have a domain name. One, start there. Two, you have to have Microsoft 365. Three, I recommend Adobe Acrobat DC for $15 a month. But all of its competitors do the exact same thing. So if you like PDF 995 or Power PDF, I think it's fine. They all do the same thing. The key is to be paying for the product because only with a paid professional PDF manipulation tool do you get redacting, bait stamping, and form creation and document signing. So if you're just using a reader, you can't do much. You can't extract pages, rearrange pages. You can't send out for signatures. You can fill out a form that someone with professional PDF manipulator created. So I think it's really important not only for lawyers to have a paid-for professional PDF tool, but their assistants need it too. You said pay for it. Pay the 15 bucks a month. You said something yeah. too on that episode that I really like too is don't be cheap. And I'm paraphrasing what you said. Yeah. Oh, I'll say it all day long. Pay for the software <laughs> and explain why. 
Explain why. Yeah. I said to the guy today, I go, look, you're launching. He was, is this, he's leaving a big firm. He's going on on his own. He wants to be able to travel with his wife. I'm going to give you the list of tools you need. And by the time we're done, add it all up because I'm going to give you all the prices, including with the extras I might give you. This is just for your tech stack. If you're going to get an office, it's a different conversation. But I said, you're going to run your law firm using the best software that money can buy today, and you're going to do it for $300 a month or less. You know, I said, a receptionist service can kind of double that sometimes. But for the basics, the things we just talked about, Acrobat, Office 365, and then a case management system, you're not even at $150. Yeah. It's a billable hour to max, you know? It's like nothing. And the conversations I had, you know, nobody ever asked me about how and when I started, but the conversations I had 15, 16, 17, 18 years ago was, well, you're going to need $8,000 to get that small business server, and then you're going to need an IT person to install it and keep it running. Now, I can't imagine saying to a lawyer today they're going to need $8,000 to launch their practice. Right. Right. not going to happen. So I've also heard you say law firms need three pieces of software. And they need to talk to each other. What are those three pieces? Yeah, those three things, office, a PDF service, and then your case management system. Um, there's a lot of great case management systems out there. You pick one. If you are really looking to streamline and be efficient, then you want services that talk to that case management system, like your calendar from Outlook or uh, Microsoft 365 or Google Workspace. If you're, you know, the rare attorney that's going to use that, that's fine. But then if you're going to use things like an Acuity or a Calendly to really enhance your calendaring capabilities, if you're going to have a remote receptionist service, if you want records requests in one click through your case management system, you want to look at case management systems that have either open APIs or that, you know, you don't need them to be open for you to create software, but an open API means that they've created their software in a way where other products and services will tie into it. So those three things always talk to each other between Acrobat and OneDrive and then OneDrive and your case management system. So I think those are the three most important things to start with. QuickBooks is another one. If your practice management system isn't built in with accounting like Cosmolex in my case are, maybe you end up with a Clio or Rocket Matter and you've got to use QuickBooks, then QuickBooks needs to right. talk to your services. Your goal is to reduce the amount of data that you're inputting or your assistant is and just letting it all talk to each other. When we come back in just a few moments, Adriana fills us in on the ins and outs of case, practice, and document management software. She also tells us why she thinks client relationship management software is woefully underused and legal. I'm Chad Main, and you're listening to Technically Legal. We need to do more with less. That is the key takeaway nowadays from almost every survey of in-house counsel. But what if it didn't have to be that way? What if you actually could do more for less? By combining legal expertise and technology, Percipient enables legal teams to get more work done for less. Buried in contracts and sales is frustrated with turnaround time? We can help with that. Did you just get hit with a subpoena and reviewing 100,000 documents and files will tax your resources or cost you a small fortune in billable hours? We can help there, too. Our team of legal professionals leverage tech and project management principles with the right amount of human oversight to deliver precise, efficient, and cost-effective legal solutions. Whether it's legal operations and contract management support, subpoena compliance, or document review, Percipient is your partner in really doing more for less. 
Percipient. Legal services powered by technology. All right, we'll get back to my conversation with Adriana Linares in just a second. But before I do, like I always do, I want to direct you to tlpodcast.com where there's an episode page for every episode we do. It has more information about our guests, how to get a hold of them, and also links to some of the stuff we talk about. Today's a really good episode to check out the episode page because Adriana talks about a lot of stuff, a lot of tools, and we'll have links there for you to learn more. Also, if you like what you're hearing today and on the other episodes, I appreciate you listening, but I'd ask you for a couple favors. Number one, if you want to subscribe, go to whatever podcast platform you listen to right now. There's probably a button on the top right of your app and subscribe. If you're so inclined, maybe even give us a favorable review and even better yet, tell a friend about the podcast. All right, let's get back to my conversation with Adriana Linares. Let's talk about case management slash practice management software. What are the features there? What are we looking for? I think mostly we're looking for time and billing, of course, but I think what happens, and this just might be a leftover from attorneys who just had time and billing in the past, is your case management system today should also be a centralized location for dates, deadlines, details, documents, communications. It um, In legal tech, we have a term that we use sometimes called matter-centric. Your practice should be matter-centric focused, meaning everything related to a matter should be in one central location. And what's weird about it is in the old days when we didn't have computers, it kind of worked that way where we had, you know, a banker's box or a filing folder where our filing cabinet where everybody would put everything into one central location. If you needed information, you'd go to the file. Well, today we have to recreate that digitally. And it's really hard if emails are in your inbox from the client, but then your assistant gets the court-related emails in her inbox, and then your documents are on your desktop and on the server and on her computer and on his laptop. And then how do you make one change to a phone number so that everybody has access to it? That's what I think case management systems really help lawyers do today is they offer a dashboard, which by now everybody knows what a dashboard is, but they offer a dashboard for every single matter. So when the client calls you, you pull up the matter and you go, oh, I see that just two days ago my assistant filed that motion and we should be hearing back from the court any day now. Oh, and it looks like your hearing is set for. So I think being able to communicate clearly, quickly, and know what you're talking about with your client comes from a matter-centric environment. And that is really brought on today by case management. Case management tells you what's going on with your particular legal matter. It can include document management software, but explain the distinction there between the project slash case management system and the document management system. So I usually break them down into three management systems, case management, document management, and practice management. So case management is dates, deadlines, details, parties. Document management can come with case management and all of today's, I always call them modern practice management systems, come with document management, meaning there's a folder inside the dashboard for all the documents. But it's not really, in my opinion, document management, because I'm a huge snob about this, like militant about really good document management. It comes from my big law firm days where we had really sophisticated document management systems that forced users, I always say the term lawyers don't like forced compliance, would force users to save to a very specific location with a name and then 
the client number, the matter number. What type of document is this? Agreement, pleading, summary, research, right? So we were, and still do in big law, fill out these profiles. We call it front-end profiling. You front-end profile anything before it goes into the system. It puts metadata onto those items so that they're easy to find. Well, when you're using Dropbox or OneDrive or the case management systems, built-in document management systems, it's really more like document storage and sharing because you're not really managing in the way that I would consider it. But they work, right? So there's really only one product out there that offers really sophisticated and amazing document management, and it's NetDocuments. And it integrates with all of today's modern practice management systems for the most part. It's big firm technology, but I have plenty of solos using it, so it can seem expensive and it can seem hard to implement. But if document and email management is the bane of your existence, then NetDocuments can really solve those problems, a little harder to implement, a little more expensive. And <laughs> this is one of the few times I say this, doesn't work well on a Mac. They have not thus far designed for Mac, so it's better on PCs, but um, they have to get there at some point. But if you're a Microsoft 365 user, you have OneDrive, why can't we just use that? That's a place to store documents. I did a whole episode, by the way, on New Solo about the difference between OneDrive and SharePoint. And if you are having trouble figuring this out, go listen to it. OneDrive is designed for one person. So what happens in a law firm typically is the managing attorney or the owner of the firm has to create a folder in their OneDrive and then share that OneDrive with everyone else. So it can become a little bit of a management issue if you have a firm where a lot of people are coming and going. It can be an issue, right? You can't just say, share my whole OneDrive with my assistant. It's share this folder or this folder. So maybe you create one folder called client work, and that's the only one they share. Then the other thing inside OneDrive is it's flat. So you're creating a folder inside of a folder inside of a folder inside of a folder. Those folders can easily be dragged and dropped and moved, accidentally deleted. Sometimes people file things in the wrong place because there's not a lot of guidance the way you have with front-end profiling to put those things in the right location. So believe me, it works. And it's mostly what I do now is sort of counsel through how to set up OneDrive or connect it to your case management system. But it's not the most sophisticated way to do things. SharePoint, I'll just mention, but I won't get into it is designed to be today's server, SharePoint, for a shared file location, OneDrive for one person. The last thing I'll say just real quick, because we talked, you know, I kind of described the difference between a case management system and a document management system, which can be baked in, might not be as good as a product like NetDocs, is practice management. And that is understanding your AR, understanding how much billing you're doing, at the end of the year, being able to look and see what are your most profitable areas of law. Uh, maybe I should switch to a flat rate for doing that type of case because it's more effective for me. Or I got to stop offering a flat rate because turns out I'm spending 15 more hours that I'm actually getting paid for in that type of case. So I think um, the practice management side is the business side and then case and document is the practical side of practicing law. Now, not necessarily for bigger law firms, but for the medium and smaller size law firms, is the practice and case management software one product? Yeah, it can be. Sure. Generally. 100%. Yeah. For big firms, they're going to end up using almost enterprise level for billing and accounting. They're going to be global. They're going to have, you know, much bigger software. But for today's 
firms of 100 or less, today's modern case management systems can really do the job. I always suggest if you're a bigger firm, and by bigger firm, I usually mean more than 10 people, then you pick your case management system and you layer net documents with it. Sometimes you have to start with net docs because it does not do time and billing details, deadlines. Its portal is hard for clients to use. So there's a little bit of a sort of, um, you have to mix your own cocktail there of technology to see what works. But if you're a bigger firm and, and you really want email and document management, I always suggest NetDocs and then picking a good case management system like a Clio, Rocket Matter. I think Cosmolex integrates with it. So, You know, after listening to a few episodes of your new solo, I get the impression, and I agree, that CRMs, Client Relationship Management Software, it's a whole other animal, but very underutilized by law firms, and it shouldn't be. Yeah. So what are they? Explain what they are. So a CRM does two, it does a lot of things, but let's talk about the two main things that most firms want it for. Number one, you want to manage potential new clients coming in the door, vetting them, deciding whether you're going to move forward with hiring them. As I always say, you're hiring them. They're not hiring you. Maybe there's clients you don't want to work with. And then, you know, vetting all the information, getting their engagement letter, getting the retainer, and then moving them from intake to managing the case. So that's the first thing. And then the other thing a CRM does is it helps you keep your contacts, like lead referrals, um, lead referral sources in a good place. And also if you want to send out holiday cards or your office is moving or, you know, you do a lot of social media and you want to invite everyone to like your new Instagram page, how do you gather all that information into lists that are actionable? CRMs can help with that. So a client or a customer relationship manager is really important. I don't normally tell a solo when they're launching that they're going to need that. I'll say, you're probably going to need that in three or four months once the ball starts rolling. But they also come baked in to case management systems. So today you get the CRM with the case and the document management and the practice management and the time and billing and the ability to get the payments. So today's modern practice management programs, while they still don't always do everything, they do almost everything. Or they will then integrate or talk to products that do. And they also help automate, especially like the intake process, right? Yes. And, and create documents. Yeah. So you're not reinventing the wheel every time. Yep. I'm so glad you asked about that. I think not only are CRMs underutilized now, but so is the document assembly that comes with them. So the dream is that a potential new client hits your website. They fill out a form and they properly spell their first name, their last name, their email address. Then you get that form and you reach back out and then inside your CRM, because this is the, the intake, you ask them a few more questions. Um, are you able to pay? Are you married? What's your birthday? What county did this happen in? And so you're capturing all that information. You decide that the two of you are going to work together. So from intake, You've captured basic information. You move them over to now your management system, your case management system. And you need to draft a couple of letters or an order. If you've already captured that initial information and your templates are set up in Word, then you should be able to pretty easily draft basic documents or even sometimes if it's a form that just has basic information that you've captured, you can create a PDF. So I think document assembly is really it needs to get bigger. It needs to be the next big thing. It's getting there. You have a term of art, too, for that relates to this captured information, data prison. Where'd you come up with that, and what is it? <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> oh, that actually comes from my big firm days where when I was at big law firms, we'd hire an attorney. Let's say it was a solo. And one of the reasons, or a small firm, one of the reasons we bought them or, you know, had them merge in was because they had a big book of business. Well, it always ended up being my job to bring their contacts into their address book. And a lot of times those contacts were in tables in Word or tables in, back then, of course, WordPerfect. And I couldn't get the data out. I mean, it was just trapped in this prison with no escape where the first name, the last name, the address, the email, back then we didn't have as many emails, were just trapped inside this box and I couldn't get it out. So the goal today is to not have data in prisons, but to have them in their own little personal cells where if you want to merge a letter that says, Dear Miss Linares, instead of Dear Adriana Linares, the only way you can really do that is by having really good parsed data about the people that you're working with and the information, like the case number, the judge's name, um, the JA, the court address. So that's another thing that case management systems really help you do is it gives you fields for all those pieces of information that you can then either see in a dashboard and or merge into documents that I think is the panacea of legal. I think it's, and look, people like me have been talking about document assembly for 30 years. And that's the reason APIs are important and the reason your systems, you talk yep. to each other, right? Because you can grab data. It started with the CRM. If you're using the CRM, you do an intake, you can push that to your yep. other pieces of software you're using. You don't, and to your point, the client spelled their name right, presumably. You may not, right? So it's, exactly. it's, it's right. It cuts down on error. If you have a virtual receptionist like a Ruby, Ruby integrates with practice management programs. So they will capture first name, last name, caller information and a note. Then they push that into your CRM. And from there, you know, take over the process that I just started. So yeah, APIs and the ability for products that weren't built together to work together are really important. And Zapier becomes really helpful sometimes. Love Zapier. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. So Zapier is another good tool. Before we leave CRMs, first, it's my company because we're tech-facing. We use HubSpot, and a lot of people use Salesforce, but sure. those may not be that great for legal. No. What, what are some programs out there that you recommend CRMs for legal? Well, Lawmatics is built specifically for legal, and I think it's good. It's it's a product that can be a little expensive, and it can be hard to launch. So if you're going to go with Lawmatics, make sure you are committed to seeing the integration process through and that you start using it. It's a great product once it really launches, and I know they've gotten a lot better at really helping their customers do that. We used to have Lexicata, which was bought by right. Clio. And so now if you get Clio, your CRM is built into Clio. It's called Clio Grow. Um, my case has it built right into the product. Cosmolex does. I think Rocket Matter does. And then Zola. So I, I think a lot of them are baked in there. And then there are a few practice-specific services like Decision Vault that is built for estate planning attorneys to be their intake service. So you can really look around. And there are two great resources that I always point people to for looking for products. And that's Bob Ambrosi's directory of legal apps. It's at his website, which I think is Law Next. And then even if you're not a Clio user, Clio keeps a directory of all of their products that integrate with them. If you go to the bottom of their website and go to integrations, I think that's a great library for looking at whatever it is you're looking for. You can put in communications and see voice over IP services in there. You can put in, if you're looking for, like I said earlier, um, like a 
a records request company, you might look and see if there's something in there. And whether you use Clio or not, you might get down the path of finding what you're looking for. Adriana, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. If they want to find you in your podcast and they want to find you and your company, where do they go? LaTeX Partners uh, is my website. I'm on most of the social medias, although that's probably the worst way to try to connect with me. I don't have time for social as much as I wish I did. And then thank you. My podcast is through the Legal Talk Network. It's called New Solo. And I, I think I have some really great guests that have come on there and give us great information. Okay, that's a wrap for today's episode. As always, we really appreciate you listening. If you want to subscribe, you can find us on most major podcast platforms like Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, etc. Also, if you like us enough, I hope you leave us a favorable review. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, this has been Technically Legal.